Welcome to the Man-Made Kaiju Cast. I am your host, Rob138, and we are celebrating Kaijun 2022. Um, posted a poll a couple weeks ago as to what films we'd like to discuss, which, well, rather, what you'd like me to discuss here on the Kaiju Cast. And this week, the War of the Gargantuas won the poll but before we get to that let's talk about a couple things um some kaiju news there was a still released for the netflix skull island anime uh which looked like it was a big old kong paw print with someone sitting in the middle of it if it's uh in my opinion as good as the godzilla singular point anime i am 100 percent in i know that singular point was divisive to say the least amongst the godzilla fan base but i enjoyed it what else i believe on the last kaiju cast i mentioned the ultraman connection movie premiere event uh and how excited i was it was total bust actually um the connection would not stay stable enough every couple seconds. It was buffering. My understanding is I was not the only one with uh, that happening. So hopefully Ultraman Connection can get their stuff together here in the future because I would love to watch more premieres, especially with the Ultraman Discord. Um, what else? Godzilla Battleline. Don't know if anybody plays that, but it's the Shin Godzilla season. Um, I've already unlocked Shin Godzilla, as did, I suppose, many people. Um, though I am noticing that matchmaking is complete shit at the moment, and it is very much not fun to play, so hopefully Toho Games will figure that out and balance it. Uh, beyond that, let's see. Kaiju, Kaiju, Kaiju. I saw a flick on HBO Max last night that I guess falls into the Kaiju genre, but also I feel like it might fall into some sort of romantic comedy genre with Anne Hathaway. It's called Colossal. Um, apparently she has some sort of symbiotic relationship with some kaiju attacking, I believe it's Korea. I'm probably gonna check it out. It looks like it could be fun, but it also looks like it could be a total disaster. So I will report maybe uh, in two weeks regarding that. Um, if you listen to the Man-Made Monster cast on Monday, you will have learned that I'm back to work. I'm I'm very excited to be back to work. I missed uh I missed my my work crew. But uh medically speaking is where the begrudgingly comes in because nothing is really fixed. Um so I'm trying some some alternative methods and trying to get some some medical clearance for some procedures and I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to plug Patreon real quick. I started a Patreon for the Man-Made Monster Cast, and by extension, the Man-Made Kaiju Cast. You can find us on patreon.com slash Cast. Two of the tiers involve buying me a coffee so that I can stay awake long enough to do all of the things while I'm back to work. The third tier, I believe, involves... Uh, this is strictly for the Man-Made Monster Cast. doesn't really affect the Kaiju Cast, but... Uh, you can suggest a movie that we will we will talk about on an episode. So check that out. It's patreon.com slash manmademonstercast. On the slab today, we have The War of the Gargantuas, which happens to be one of my more liked kaiju movies. 
So we'll get right into it, directed by Ishiro Honda, with special effects by the legendary Eiji Tsuburaya. The War of the Gargantuas was released on July 31st, 1966 in Japan, and on July 29th, 1970 in the United States. The War of the Gargantuas tells the story of a lab experiment called a Gargantua that escapes and is suspected to be terrorizing the countryside. However, a new Gargantua appears at the same time, and the two battle across Japan. So, War of the Gargantuas was the third co-production of Toho and UPA, and would also be the last. The film's initial announcement saw it being called the Frankenstein Brothers, and later saw it being referred to under various titles, including the two Frankensteins, Frankenstein vs. Frankenstein, and Frankenstein's Decisive Battle. I'm sure you see a theme here. It would also serve as a spiritual sequel to the 1965 film Frankenstein Conquers the World, also known as Frankenstein vs. Baragon, I believe. Beyond the original Japanese version, there are two separate English dubs for the film. The first was commissioned by Toho and was called the International Dub. Uh, this was a direct translation of the Japanese version and kept the monster references as Frankenstein and had actor Russ Tamblin's dialogue redubbed. This is the version that we are going to be discussing today, by the way. Uh, the second was commissioned by UPA and was considered to be the quote-unquote American release. This version omits all references of the aforementioned Frankenstein Conquers the World and refers to the monsters as gargantuas. It also includes additional footage that was not included in the Japanese version. Additionally, Russ Tamlin was called back in to redub his lines because his original dialogue track had indeed been lost. On the topic of Russ Tamlin, you might know him as Riff from West Side Story, as well as roles in How the West Was Won and The Haunting. And most recently, he was Dr. Montag in The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Tamlin's lines on the American version were improvised based on his lip movements of the film, as he could not remember his original lines. Tamlin and Honda notoriously butted heads on set, and it was said that whatever Honda wanted Tamlin to do, he did the complete opposite. Quote, Honda-san had to hold back and bear so much on that one. Russ Tamlin was such an asshole, end quote, said Honda's assistant Seiji Tani in the 2017 biography Ishiro Honda, A Life in Film, from Godzilla to Kurosawa. Tamlin thought his lines in the film were so bad that he improvised all of them. Originally, Nick Adams, from Rebel Without a Cause, Frankenstein Conquers the World, Die Monster Die, and Invasion of the Astro Monster, was cast for the role, but Henry Saperstein opted to replace him with Tamlin. Saperstein would later call Tamlin a, quote, royal pain in the ass, end quote, in the aforementioned Honda biography. Uh, some things of note regarding War of the Gargantuas. It holds the dubious distinction of being a favorite film of not only mine, but also Tim Burton, Nick Cage, Guillermo del Toro, and Brad Pitt. There's also a really fun fan theory that the live-action Attack on Titan is a spiritual sequel to War of the Gargantuas. And when asked at the 2017 Famous Monsters Convention in Dallas, Texas, if there was in fact a connection between the two films, director Shinji Higuchi, Shin Godzilla fame as well as doing work on Neon Genesis Evangelion and the famous Gamera 
HHLG has stated, quote, unfortunately, I am not allowed to say, end quote, and then laughed. So take that as what you will, but both films do, in fact, have similar themes. Dr. Stewart speaking. We need your help. Sir, you've studied giant animals. You had one in captivity, didn't you? Yes, that was five years ago. You know, uh, he might have been a young species of a gargantua. Attention! All aircraft are to turn away! An alert! An alert! This is Tokyo Tower! Don't land! <laughs> Northwest and has reached this point. We will move headquarters out to the field immediately. units to the beaches. So the movie begins with a ship alone at sea in a storm. If you are a fan of kaiju films, which you probably should be, otherwise why are you here? Uh, you know where this is going. A tentacle appears in the cabin and tries to attack the crewman. Outside of the ship, a giant octopus appears. This octopus was the octopus used in the deleted ending to Frankenstein Conquers the World. And it's honestly, it's pretty cool looking. Um, but it is not, in fact, the major kaiju in this movie. Just then, a hairy green beast arises from the depths and stomps the cephalopod back into the ocean. He lets out a huge roar, and he attacks the ship. This is a very cool scene, the first of many in this film. Somehow the guy on the ship survives, and he's in the hospital. The Coast Guard comes to visit, and he just utters, ma ma monster. We established there was a crew of five, and they all went down with the ship. The Coast Guard asks the survivor about the crew, who tells them that the green monster got them. The Coast Guard does not believe him at all. There's a cool flashback sequence of Gyra swimming after the crew, 
The survivor tells the Coast Guard, quote, if I wanted to lie, I'd tell you something more believable. And folks, he ain't wrong. Who would believe that? The Coast Guard has found the crew's clothes with, quote, chew marks on them. And I wonder how they know there are chew marks when you consider the size of the creature. It's just, it should just be torn clothing, right? I digress. Anyways, they call the Frankenstein expert, which is Riff from West Side Story, and his lovely assistant, Akemi Tagawa, played by Kumi Mizuno. Kumi starred in such kaiju films as Ebera Horror of the Deep, Invasion of the Astro Monster, and Frankenstein Conquers the World. She would later go on to have roles in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and the ever-popular Godzilla Final Wars. You can 100% tell that Tamlin gives zero fucks about being in this movie. He says the old Frankenstein was killed before getting hit with reporters about the monster that he raised. He says he wouldn't attack humans or survive underwater. We established that the Gargantua was gentle via flashbacks with Sanda. This serves as a way to establish the relationship between Sanda and Akemi, and also Sanda being friendly. Cut to a fishing boat, and we get a really cool shot of Gyra under the water. The crew of the boat totally freaks and dives overboard. We get another cool shot of Gyra out in the ocean, just offshore. Um, I do believe later in the film, in fact, I know later in the film, they established that Gyra hates sunlight, but it's the middle of the day. Dr. Stewart and his crew decide that it's their responsibility to prove it's not their gargantua, it's some other gargantua, and they go off to investigate the footprints in the mountains, and they go off to investigate the damaged boats. On the boats, they find a sea membrane that serves as proof that the gargantua in question is not their gargantua. Dr. Stewart and the other part of the team are in the mountains, and they find the footprints. We cut to another great wide shot of Gyra rising, again, in broad daylight, from the water, and he approaches an airport. Everyone runs off screaming, and air traffic control is radioing for a mayday. I like the wide shots here. It gives Gyra a sense of scope. Uh, typically, the shots in kaiju films are usually from, you know, down, looking up, to uh, give us a sense of scope. But in this film, Honda chooses to have these, these wide shots, which, which I think is really cool. Also, there's some really great uh, blue screen effects for the time. Um, away from that, I'm also really big fan of the design of uh, Sanda and Gyra. The, uh, the suits are really superb. Um, yeah, top-notch stuff. Gyra puts his hand through a window, and he pulls someone out and then proceeds to eat them, which we would later see used, I believe, in Rampage, the video game. Uh, sun peeks through a cloud, and Gyra runs off back to the ocean. This is actually inadvertently pretty hilarious how Gyra is running. Uh, we cut back to the Doc and his team. They are being bombarded by the media. Doc Riff says it's not their gargantua. And the media says it doesn't matter whether that's true or not. It's what people believe. And cancel culture is around even in 1966. Stewart and Akemi head to Tokyo. And Stock Stewart quips that maybe he lives in the water because he fell in love with a whale. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if this was meant to be funny, because um, it's not. So, yeah. He then theorizes 
that maybe there was a second Gargantua, which I thought we established based on the evidence at the ship, but I digress. We cut to the Defense Agency of Tokyo. The general says they'll put a strong electrical current in Tokyo Bay. We then establish that Gyra is sensitive to bright lights. The media asks if they could have avoided the casualties if they didn't say the monster can't live in water. And Stuart then tells him he intends to continue his research and they are all aghast. He and Akemi make their way to the hotel, and Stuart asks if she could imagine what it would be like if the monster were to appear in Tokyo. Yep, I imagine we're gonna find out. We cut to one of the most cringe-inducing scenes in kaiju history, and the only other American actor in this film, Kip Hamilton, who is belting out a terrible, terrible song entitled The Words Got Stuck in My Throat, and boy do I wish they had. The best thing about this scene is an obvious blue screen, so shit is definitely going to go down. Uh, there's a bit of foreshadowing as the lights dim and the lyrical content of the song uh, is something about turning the power on, so that's a nice little bit there that I, I feel like gets lost. Um, a fun note about Kip Hamilton, she is actually the sister-in-law of the legendary Carol Burnett, but away from that, this song is annoying as hell. Guyver then appears behind her, thank God, and everyone panics. Guyver grabs her, there's a nice blue screen uh, effect with a large model hand holding her. Um, the effect would later be reused, I believe, in King Kong Escapes. I know it's a Kong movie, I mean, it's most of the Kong movies have a similar shot, but I think this particular method was reused in King Kong Escapes. Uh, they turn the lights on and he drops her, an alarm sounds, and a news bulletin says that Gyra has made his way to shore and that everyone needs to turn their lights on. Akemi and Doc Stewart pack up and head out. Stewart needs a sample of the monster's cell structure to find out whether it's their Gargantua or a different one. Which again, I thought that we established, this is a running theme I believe here, I thought we established that it's not their Gargantua. But whatever. Cue a montage of people prepping for Gyra to make landfall. Uh, there's some more really great wide shots of Gyra. Gyra lets out a roar and the military mobilizes. It's a pretty cool sequence here. The military hits Gyra with floodlights. Uh, he hides in the trees. They decide to go with Operation X as they don't just want to wound Gyra, they want to kill him. Gyra makes his way to a stream and the military opens fire on him. Gyra gets incredibly sick of their shit and starts chucking tanks into buildings. This entire sequence is pretty great. There's also really, really great sound design here from the legendary Akira Ifakube. There's another montage of the military hauling in their Mazer cannons. That's not a laser cannon, that is in fact a Mazer cannon. Uh, I believe this is the first film where the Mazer cannons would be used. They would later become a staple in the Toho films after this. Uh, air support is now looking for Gyra, and I'm just curious as how the hell you lost him. I mean, I know he's meant to be smaller than Godzilla, and he's green and kind of in the woods, but he's still a giant green humanoid creature. How do you just lose him? Anyway, they find him immediately, thus making the scene entirely useless. The general thinks that he's moving quicker than they expected and questions whether they will be ready in time. Spoiler, they will. They send some choppers to slow him down, to no avail. The military falls back, 
and they send another chopper to Lord Gyron in. Here's where they unload on him with their Mazer weapons. Gyra is getting pretty messed up here, pretty badly. Uh, he retreats behind some trees, and this shot would actually later be used in various Godzilla movies. Um, and just when this seems to be the end for our friend Gyra, his brother Sonda shows up to save him. Sonda shoots a look of death at the military and then helps his brother to safety. Um, there's a nice shot of Sanda holding his brother just before he lets out a big roar. I really enjoy that you can see the suit men's eyes in these suits, because it really, really allows them to emote more, which is something you really don't get in a lot of kaiju movies at all, let alone in this era of kaiju movies. So yeah, that's, that's just awesome. It really helps with um, the portrayal of these two monsters. Um, Sanda was played by a legendary Godzilla suit actor, uh, Haru Nakajima, and Gyro was played by Yu Sakita, who portrayed Mecha Kong in King Kong Escapes, and Ngiris in Destroy All Monsters, as well as Godzilla himself in Son of Godzilla. We cut back to our scientist team, who theorize that Sanda is their gargantua. We then designate the monster's code names as Gyra and Sanda. In the woods, Dr. Stewart tells his team that they shouldn't spend too much time wondering about things. Yep. Because if you're a scientist, you should not spend any time at all wondering about anything. Doc Stewart then tells the military to check out the lakes and the streams since Skyward can't survive without water, and then tells his team they'll search over the ridge. We cut to Sanda and Gyra by the lake. Gyra's in pretty bad shape. Sanda's splashing water on him and trying to help him, but they hear a helicopter. Gyra promptly hops up and dives underwater, and Sanda retreats to the trees until it passes by. Our science team finds something in the water. There's a really, really close-up shot, but I can't make out what the hell they found. Doc Stewart then finds some green stuff from Gyra and says it's fresh tissue. At the lab, they theorize that the two are brothers. Stewart theorizes that Sanda scraped himself somewhere, somehow, and the tissue somehow got to the sea and then somehow grew into Gyra. And I thought he just said that they shouldn't wonder about things. This is how science works, folks. They then decide if they blow them up, they could wind up with millions of monsters, which would be the end of humanity as a whole. The military says they need to rethink their tactics and decide napalm is the answer. Solid. We then cut to a nature documentary and some folks singing and dancing down the road. Stuart and Akemi roll up, and Stuart says that young people don't scare easy. And it's the same as when Nazi Germany attacked Paris. What the actual shit, Doc Stewart. He and Akemi decide to take a walk. I guess they just left their car in the middle of the road. Uh, these happy people are still singing down the road as a mist rolls in. Stewart and Akemi head back to their car and our happy troops stroll into Gyra. This was a very cool shot of the silhouette of Gyra appearing in the mist as they approached him. They completely freak out, justifiably, and then they run past Stuart and Akemi and tell them, It's the monster! Akemi then randomly falls off of a mountain 
She's holding onto a branch and drops, but Sonda catches her and puts her back on solid ground while taking a giant boulder to the leg in the process before promptly disappearing. Back at the base, Kemi tells the general about Sonda saving her. He says he has his orders. They are going to napalm the entire area. We go back to Sonda and Gyra. Gyra's laying there still, and he's all busted up. Just then, Sonda notices there's people's clothing laying torn and tattered around, and he immediately realizes that his brother ate them. I, uh, I really, really love this scene uh, with the two because they just kind of emote with their eyes. And you can really see Sonda's disappointment with his brother. And Gyra just kind of doesn't care. They, this scene really, for me, establishes the differing ideologies between the two characters, which, you know, again, this is all through body language and using your eyes. So it is, in my opinion, top-notch acting. So, with that said, Sonda uproots a tree and starts beating the bejesus out of Gyra with it. Gyra gets up to defend himself. And this is the beginning of what we all came here for, the War of the Gargantuas, the prelude. The two tussle for a while, and Gyra takes off. Uh, again, getting back to the suits, I love that they're not as bulky as a typical kaiju suit. really allows for a freer and smoother movement and the fights between the two, which will definitely pay off later in the movie. Gyra is now heading for the city, and the general says to block all main roads and deploy all weapons. He says if the monster cells spread, they'll mop up the pieces with chemical weapons. I imagine that being the napalm. We learn that Gyra is no longer afraid of light. Don't know how we established that, but we're finding out now. And Dr. Stewart tells them that Sanda is friendly and they need to worry about Gyra, who is likely heading back to the sea. The general then deploys some men to the beaches. Gyra makes his way to the ocean anyway, so that really worked out, General. We cut to some sort of meeting where Dr. Stewart says that it's not a theory that Sanda is harmless, it's fact. That is in fact not the case. It is very much a theory, as there is no proof at all that Sanda is harmless. Anyway, he and the general argue. Dr. Stewart says that they need to be trapped, which uh, Gyra, I believe, actually is in the IDW comic uh, Godzilla Rulers of the Earth. I actually just started reading that recently. And yeah, Guy, I think it's Gyra. It might be. No, it's Gyra. It's Gyra's trapped and Sanda's outside. So yeah, eventually Gyra gets trapped. I don't know if it's canon to this flick, but it's definitely canon to Godzilla Rulers of the Earth. They wonder if they can keep Sanda under control, and Stuart says, Akemi can. Uh, as Stuart and Akemi are working a plan, an alarm sounds, and people start turning their lights on. It is then established that an order must be made to turn all lights off, because Skyra now associates light with food somehow. I feel like we're just making some things up here to get to the brawl, which is fine, I guess, but eh. I mean, it's a monster movie. It's, it's, it's a 60s monster movie. What am I trying to critically pick it apart like this for. Uh, the military begins moving everyone to the subway. Now we start to get our monster smacked down. Gyra makes his way to the city as the maser weapons begin to mobilize. We find out that Sanda is inbound as well, and the military will likely kill him as well. Akemi decides she's going to the city. She says it's her turn to save Sanda's life. Dr. Seward then asks if it really means this much to her. She says yes. And well, it's settled then. 
We uh, get a cool shot of the cars gridlocked in the street as the two make their way through. Gyra is a hungry, hungry boy and is stomping his way through the city, but it's a ghost town. Um, I feel like this is pretty unique, how this is laid out. There's usually tons of chaos going on at this point in a kaiju flick. And in this flick, it's really just Gyro walking through an abandoned city with alarms going off. Um, it's honestly kind of creepy, and it really builds some tension as to Sanda's arrival. Akemi thinks she sees Sanda, but it's actually Gyra who smashes his hand through the subway and grabs her. But just then, Big Brother Sanda appears and lets out a ferocious roar. Gyra drops Akemi, and now it's clobbering time. The two brothers square up. Sanda's really, really awesome here. Uh, he's just walking down the street, shaking his head no. Gyra kind of falls back into a building, and it's almost like the two are arguing before coming to blows. And boy, do they. Uh, Gyra is still bloodied from the prior military attack, and Sanda's limping from the boulder to the leg earlier, and they both go careening through a building. We then cut to Tamlin, who says some dialogue that I don't care about, and I'm pretty sure neither did he when he said it. Back to the brothers. Everything about this fight is just kaiju goodness. They crash through another building. Now they're scrapping around in the middle of the street. We cut back to Doc Stewart, who's asking the general for more time to let Sanda beat Gyra since he saved Akemi's life. Like, dude, that's not how this works. Whether he's good-natured or not, they are both large monsters that are currently destroying the entirety of downtown in their family feud. The general sends the tanks in, and they open up fire on the brothers. I swear there were actual hints at the Godzilla theme in the music here, which I wouldn't be surprised by. Um, the tanks are just obliterating Gyra here, who begins throwing broken buildings at them before setting his sights on his brother. Uh, Gyra knocks over another building and then runs off. Sandy gives chase towards the dockyard. The miniature sets, I want to point out, are super, super great in this flick. I know I mentioned it earlier, but they're just, they're awesome. The two brothers stop and argue some more. Again, very unique that the two communicate with each other before they throw down, before they start fighting. You can really tell that Santa doesn't want to have to do this, and that his younger brother Gyra just doesn't care. Uh, Santa seems to just want to stop him, but Gyra wants to fight. Uh, Gyra then hip-tosses Sanda through a building, and at this point begins to stomp the ever-loving piss out of Sanda until Sanda flips him over and becomes the aggressor. Gyra kicks him off and then tackles him through another building as the military roll up with their mazers and fire at Gyra. Sanda makes it to his feet, but Gyra grounds him once again, and the military continues firing on Gyra, and the two brothers continue their struggle through yet another building, and then another building, before falling into the water, while the military vehicles begin to give chase. I assume that they're at Tokyo Bay, um, since this is where all the major shit goes down in kaiju movies. So, um, yeah, the military gives chase. And the two are still kicking the ever-loving crap out of each other, and the military continues to fire their major assault weapons. Gyra dives under the water and resurfaces, holding a freight ship above his head. He proceeds to toss it at Sanda. Sanda, after being hit with the freight ship, then picks it up and does the same. I feel bad for anybody who was on that ship, as they are all undoubtedly dead at this point. Both then swim further out into the water. We cut back to Dr. Stewart, who was very creepily stroking Akemi's face with a flower at the med bay. Akemi asks if they've found them, and Doc Stewart says they can't find them. And again, what? How? Like, 
So we cut to a helicopter flying above the two brothers as they fight in the ocean. The helicopter immediately finds them. The helicopter is now dropping bombs on the both of them that apparently they could not find. All of a sudden, a volcano appears in the ocean and erupts because reasons. Um, I guess my theory here is that the bombs somehow being dropped activated the volcano. They'd never really explain it. The volcano erupts and the brothers disappear in the ocean amidst the smoke and the flying debris. We cut back to the med bay and they say they must be dead. They say it's not confirmed because they couldn't get close enough due to the heat from the volcano, but they must be dead. The end. Yeah, that's that's the flick, guys. Um, I feel like it's kind of an abrupt ending <laughs> um, for a really, really unique kaiju movie. Um, yeah, I just... I, I, it sounds like the ending was short, right? But you, you got to see it because the fight goes for a while. And I'm not just to sit here and be like, and they fall through a building, and they fall through a building, and they fall through a building. Like, go watch it. It's really cool. So, get into my thoughts here. The good. I thought Honda made fantastic use of wide shots in this film. He really, really established the size and the scope of the brothers through his use of the wide shots. Ifakube's score was phenomenal as usual. Um, miniature design was exceptional, as stated. Um, but for me, the film's strongest point are the brothers. Most specifically, the performances of Nakajima and Sakita. Like I mentioned earlier, the creature design and the suits really allowed both of them to emote more with their eyes, which gave them a certain emotional gravitas. The suits themselves being less bulky allowed the actors more range of motion, which allowed them to have much more visceral fights, though I can only imagine how painful it may have been while doing those stunts with significantly less padding. Uh, Nakajima himself has even stated that this role was one of his favorites due to the flexibility of the suits and being able to emote the bad. Russ Tamblin. Russ Tamblin. Everything about his performance screams, I don't care, I don't want to be here. I feel like every time he was on screen, it just kind of broke my engagement with the story. His portrayal of Dr. Stewart seemed very lackadaisical and really ruins the immersion into the plot at points, um, which I think is really unfortunate because I really believe this could have been a legendary role for him. I know that he had hated the film for a long time, and now, more, like, more recently in his later years, he has, you know, kind of warmed up to the movie and talks about it at various conventions and panels, which is great, I guess, but too little too late, because, I mean, his, his performance just, it's flat for me. It's absolutely flat. Um, beyond that, I feel like the military was kind of inept at points, which it might just be by design because they do kind of all wind up being inept in these kaiju films, being the military. Ultimately, I'd probably give War of the Gargantuas a 7 out of 10. While not the best kaiju film ever made, it is certainly one of the most unique. Honda's direction and Ifukube's score, once again, are a one-two punch that complement each other perfectly, and Nakajima and Takeda's performances add a much-needed weight to a kaiju film. Uh, 100% recommended viewing. It is currently streaming on Tubi, as well as HBO Max. Um, beyond that, another fun, albeit shorter, episode of the Man-Made Kaiju Cast. I would ask everyone to leave a five-star rating 
if you could. Um, definitely, definitely comment if you can. Uh, like and subscribe to all of our stuff. Uh, Twitter being at MMMonsterCast. Instagram being at MamadeMonsterCast. My Twitter is at R0B underscore 138. My Instagram at R0B 138. I almost forgot we're back on Facebook at MamadeMonsterCast. Patreon at MamadeMonsterCast. Um, again, leave comment, guys. Uh, I will be sure to mention you and your comment on the next episode, whether it be the Manmade Monster Cast or the Manmade Kaiju Cast. Again, Rob138 signing off, and I will catch you on the flip side. My mind starts to drift right into space, and the words get stuck in my throat.